series on prayer. There's two things we're going to talk about all the time every week. There's two beginning slides you're going to see every single time to make sure we know what prayer is and what prayer is not. Prayer does not inform us about the needs. God's about the needs. All right. God's not sitting in heaven going, I never knew that you had this problem. I never knew you had this issue. Oh, I'm so surprised. That's not what God is doing sitting in heaven. He knows all. He trusts all. He believes, he believes and knows it all. Let me, start, let me try it again. God knows everything. Let me try it again. God knows everything. He's not surprised sitting on his throne in heaven. What prayer is, it's us expressing the trust in how he's going to provide. Whether we, he says yes or whether he says no or whether he says wait, that is what prayer is. We are coming to God expressing our trust to him. So we, that's going to be the mantra of the whole series about prayer. The other thing I want to talk about is we have a new verse. Hopefully you're still remembering Psalm 20, verse 7. So this time for the next six weeks, we're going to be in 1 John 5, verse 14. So let's go ahead and start with the reference and then the verse and then the reference, okay? 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John 5. 514. I went and did a search this week on the five most stressful life events, figuring that some of us have stress, some of us have experienced stress or will be, so I put some of them together, and with the website down there in the bottom, my left, your right. The first one is, it's a death of a spouse or a child. Nothing is more stressful than losing the death, having a death of a loved one, especially a child or a spouse. Second most stressful event is divorce and or separation. That is a very stressful event that we have to deal with. The third one is illness or injury. Thinking about Amy, that's a lot of stress that this family is under. The fourth one is marriage trouble. The fifth and final stress is being fired. That is a very big stress when you have to worry about job security. I looked at this and I thought about this for a while. I sat in my office and I looked at it. I said, what is the similarities between all of these? I sat there for a while. I looked at it and I looked at it. Four out of five, it's about a relationship. It's all relational oriented. Uh, you know, if, if you have a death of a spouse, I mean, it's not plain and simple, cut and clear, but you're losing a relationship. With divorce or separation, you're losing relationship. With marriage trouble, you're in relationship trouble. With being fired, you're in a relationship problem. Four out of five of them are about relationships. So this morning, I want to take and add a sixth one for those that are believers, and that is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And I took it out of the New Living Translation. I like that version because it really helps me understand. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. So the fifth or the sixth relationship that we have to worry about, or the sixth stress, is how our relationship is with God. Because you know when things are going right, everything is okay. But you know when things are not going right with God that you have that grieving. Just as we have grief within our own human relationships, we also have grief with our relationships between us and God. So this Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 is our catapult to go to, heap, uh, to, go to Psalm 32. So hopefully by now you stayed in Psalm 32 with Mark read. A couple of background things we need to know the context. Uh, two things I want you to know is, first of all, this psalm is going to be instructive. 
All right, in the, in the New King James, it says in my Bible, I don't know if it says in yours, it says a Psalm of David, a contemplation. So he's contemplating something. He's going to instruct us. He's going to teach us what we need to know. The second thing that's about Psalm 32, it's about sin. Because David has a broken relationship with his Lord. Most commentators believe that this comes from Psalm or from, from 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. David sinned with Bathsheba. Let me bring you up real quick on what happened if, for Psalm 32. David, he was out on the tower. He was someplace he shouldn't have been. And he was looking out over the tower. He saw a woman bathing. He looked at her. He lusted upon her. He wanted her. He went and got her. He had his servants go get her. He slept with her. She became pregnant. David is trying to cover his sin. So what ends up happening is he has her husband killed. She comes into the kingdom. She now is his wife. And everything is okay except for one thing. The end of 2 Samuel 11. But God saw what David did. And God was displeased. And so what happens with that in mind of David's sin of adultery, of lust, of murder, he writes Psalm 32. So if you ever have that struggle of sin in your life and you don't know where to go and you don't know what to say, you don't know how this works, you know you have a broken relationship but you don't know how to fix it, Psalm 32 is going to help you to swear. All right, let's go learn from Psalm 32. If you want to take notes, verses 1 through 4, as we learn the power of sin. Sin is very, very powerful. And we don't understand the power of it until you're into it too far. So let's look at the first four verses and understand and discover the power of sin. All right, verse 1, blessed. Some translations call joyful. Some translations say happy. Some translations even could, could translate this as excited. All right? we, I would say that we want to be happy people. We don't look to be miserable. We don't wake up and go, I hope today is a miserable day. I wake up and go, I hope today is a good day. I hope today is a blessed day. So with that in mind, David's writing with all this sin in his life. He's saying, blessed, happy, joyful, excited is he, which because he's writing that as he because he's their author, whose transgression is forgiven. Let's look at these two words. The first word transgression means rebellion. It means missing the mark. It means going astray. I've been thinking about this all week as I walk my dog, and there are certain houses in the neighborhood that have no trespassing signs on their door on their lawn. And so I sit there and go, okay, because I've been studying this all week, I'm going, all right, blessed is me if I do not wander onto their property. Because they have said, this is the mark. Do not step into my piece of property. So with this idea of transgression, it's a trespass. Blessed are those whose trespasses, whose wanderings are forgiven. Now, some people, when you wander onto their property, they come out and they greet you. Some of them greet you in a nice way. Some of them greet you in a not nice way. And that reminds you that I have crossed the mark. And so it's the same thing happens as being forgiven. Forgiven means the burden is lifted. It's hidden. The offense is covered. Let's break this down and make sure we understand. Blessed is, now we're going to look at this two ways. Let's look at our relationships first, the horizontal ones, between me to you and you to me. All right, you have offended me, 
I have offended you. You have done something to offend me. I have done something to offend you. Blessed is he, I will offend you this morning. Blessed is he whose transgression, when I have done something to offend you, has been forgiven. Notice it doesn't say forgotten. God doesn't forget. And could I say this morning that neither do you or I forget. Very few times do we, short of, of a mental disease, you know, Alzheimer's, dementia, do we forget things. Significant hurts we do not forget. Forgiven does not mean forgetting. Forgiven means choosing not to bring up. So if we're going to really be honest this morning, we're saying, blessed is he who has wandered off of the mark and is forgiven. So I have offended you. I come to you and I say, I have crossed the mark. I've rebelled against you. I missed the mark. I went astray. I crossed over the line and I have become offensive to you. You're choosing to extend forgiveness, saying, I'm going to forgive you of that. I'm choosing not to bring it up. I'm lifting the burden that you have caused. You no longer take that burden. I lift it off of you. Or I'm going to hide it or I'm going to cover it. Think about it. You've offend, I've offended you. I've come to you and I said, I have done wrong to you. I have hurt you. And you say, that is okay. I will choose not to bring it up. I'm going to go bury that in the backyard in a deep, deep hole. That is what it is between you and I. Let's look at it with God. Because for there to be a transgression, there has to be a boundary. When you walk, I walk up the road, I make a right, I make a, a right, I make a right, and then I make a left, and I'm back in the parking lot. Certain signs are there, do not trespass. There are certain signs that there is no trespassing because they don't care. There's no standard. For us to have a standard or for us to have a transgression, there must be a standard. For us and God, there has to be a standard. The standard is perfection. God has said, be holy for I am holy. We know that, and yet we sit there and go, God, I have what? I've missed the mark. I have done wrong against you. I have offended you, a holy God, with my unholiness. So I go to him, and I am forgiven. God does not forget. Are, are we glad that God does not forget? I am and I'm not, both ways. But God says, I'm choosing not to bring up. I'm taking that offense, and I'm bearing it. One thing I have written down here from one of, the, one of the commentators, he says this, he says, when we feel the weight of our past sin and guilt, we need to remember that the Lord has carried that away and he chooses not to bring it up. It has been buried and it has been covered. We need to stop giving the devil a foothold in our hearts and in our minds. We do not need to feel guilty because we have been forgiven. And so many times as Christians, we go to God and we say, God, we, will you forgive me? We know he does, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our own sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you know who we can't forgive? Ourselves. But I haven't offended myself. What I feel is guilt. Guilt is different than an offense. Guilt, look, I'll read it again. Guilt is having is when we feel the weight of our past sin and guilt. And I feel bad, I've, I have crossed, but if God's forgiven me, then why can't I forgive me? And we live in that guilt because, can I tell you why? 
Well, I'm going to tell you why. I'm sorry. Because we want to be able to, f- to pay for our own sin. And we put that on ourselves, keeping that on ourselves, because we want to make ourselves feel miserable. But if, I, if I've confessed it, if God's forgiven me, then I need to move on. It's easy to say, and it's hard to do. Let's keep going, right? That was only one verse. We got a couple more to cover. Blessed is the man, happy, joyful, is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. Well, interesting. Remember what Psalm 32 is. David is full of iniquity. He's full of bentness. He's full of rebellion. He has a spirit where there is all deceit. He lied. Remember this story? He lied. He had someone out and go out and do his own dirty works. There is all kinds of deception. There is all kinds of broken relationships between David and God. And yet he sits there and says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, see what happens is when we do wrong, we don't want anyone else to find out. So we keep silent. We don't want you, I don't want you to know about my sin. You don't want me to know about your sin. So we keep silent. And you know what happens is we do not confess our sins ultimately to God. And when we do that, what happens? When I kept silent, David saying, when I was silent about this, I lived in, in hiding of my sin. Some commentators believe it was about a year before Nathan went and confronted David. Some say shorter, some say longer. But he goes, I kept my sin a secret. Do you have any secret sins? says, when I kept my si- my kept silent, I kept my sin a secret. My bones grew old through my groanings all the days. Some of you are older and advanced in age. Your bones begin to hurt. Some of you, you know when the low pressure system's going to come through because your shoulder hurts, your knee hurts, your back hurts. And you can tell that your bones, they ache. And there's nothing worse than waking up and having your bones ache. It's going to Someday soon, it's going to be bone-chilling cold. And we're going to get up and go, oh, I wish I could just stay underneath that blanket. My bones hurt. It's so cold. Someone get up and throw another stick of wood on the fire. I just don't want it to be me. And our bones are going to hurt. Just imagine, David is saying, I feel the weight of my sin in my bones. Your bones are your structure. It hurts me so bad. Verse 4, for a day and night your hand was heavy upon me, the hand of the Lord, and it was discipline upon David. When you were growing up and you had brothers or sisters and you had a bruise, did your brother or sister ever go up to the bruise and go, does that hurt? And they poke you. That is what, God is not poking you. God is putting his hand upon you saying, I don't like that. That is wrong. That is breaking the standard that I have. David says, your hand was heavy on me. If you want to take notes this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. God is not waiting in heaven for us to screw up and mess up, that he can strike us with a lightning bolt, but God whom he loves, he disciplines. David is a man after God's own heart, but he has done wrong, friends. And God is putting his hand upon him. We would say today he is disciplining him. He is putting him in time out because what David has done is wrong. And sometimes what happens, friends, is when we do wrong, we don't want to admit it. Why? Because we keep silent. Because we don't want to confess our sin. 
I'm not saying confession, you come out here and stand up and say, this is what I'm doing. I'm saying in the privacy of your own home, you talk to God and you say, God, I have done this. He says, my vitality. This is a word meaning the life, the water. All the water, all the joy of my life was turned into the drought of summer. Why? Because my hand was, because God's hand was heavy. Why? Because I kept silent. Why? Because there was iniquity. Why? Because there was broken relationship between David and his God. And so I ask you this morning, is this where you are? Do your bones hurt? Do you feel the weight of your sin upon you? Is there a heaviness on you that you, if you will, can't explain? Do you have the life that you should have and there's no joy because you're in the drought of summer? Do you have that? Maybe it's because there's something that God is pointing to you saying, I don't like that. But what has to happen is we have to admit there's a standard before we feel this. Let's keep going. We have the power of confession. So in verses 1 through 4, we see the effects of sin, the impact of sin, how powerful it is. Sin is not something that you mess around with. It is not a cliff you get as close to without falling off. It is a cliff you stay very, very far behind. Now we see in verse 5 the power of confession. David's going to tell us how to get over that, all right? So I acknowledge my sin to you. So first of all, David knew there was a standard, and then he went to God. He said, God, I have done wrong. God, I am sorry. That's what it is to acknowledge. I have done something to you. I have offended you. I know that, and you know that. Now, sometimes, here's what happens, is I have offended you, and I have not known that I have offended you. And then you're sitting there knowing I have offended you, but I don't know. David, he knows this. I can't say I'm sorry for something that I do not know. That would be what we saw, call a sin of omission. Oh, I didn't know. There's the sin of commission saying, I conspired to do that. So there's purposeful things I do. I just do sometimes to stir the pot. There's some things I do, I don't realize I do, so I need to be told that, and, oh, okay, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. We see that in relationships all the time. So David says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I, in my iniquity, I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions. Why do I have these three verses highlighted? I want you to underline them in your Bible. Because he talks about his sin, he talks about his iniquity, and he talks about his transgressions. He's not saying, I kind of sort of made an oops, God, sorry. He is being very specific and very, very deliberate in his confession. You ever have someone come up to you and say, hey, I think you're mad at me, so I'm kind of sort of sorry about what I said. I'm sorry that you were offended. I just want to take those people and say, thank you, but that's not what I want to hear. If you've offended me, I want that to be specific. When I came to you, I was hurt because you said this, and you said this, and you said this. And you go, oh, oops. So what David says is, I have sinned, God. I have iniquity, which is a bending. I have bent your ways to what I've done. I've crossed the line. When you take time, to confess your sin. Not if. When you confess your sin, be specific. Be specific in what you say to God. Now, this is awkward. I'm not saying you stand up here. You hear, 
I'm not saying you stand up and publicly confess it. That's another step if you need to take that. But when in the privacy of your own home, you're saying, God, search me and know me. What have I done to be able to hurt this relationship? And, and if you're walking with the God, you know when you've offended God. Just as you know when you've offended your loved one, and you go, oops, I just said something wrong. So David says, I'm very specific in what I have confessed. Psalm 51 is another great psalm of confession that goes with Psalm 32. I will, uh, in my iniquity I have not hidden. God, I've shown you everything. I've told you everything. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And the Lord chastised him and beat him up and did not forgive him. God is a forgiving God. God is willing to forgive us. Look what it says. And God, and you, God, forgave me. God did not forget. God chose to not bring up. What has to happen, friends, is when we are forgiven much, we forgive much. Because we know and understand and realize that I have sinned against the holy God. You have sinned against me. I want God to forgive me because I want you to forgive me, and I want you to forgive me because sometime I'm going to say something wrong. This is a pattern for our relationship. Keep short accounts. Be specific in your accounts, but then be willing to forgive because eventually everybody's going to hurt you. You need to be willing to forgive. So we see the power of sin. We see the power of forgiveness. Let's keep going to Psalm 32, all right? Verses 6 and 7. Let's keep rolling. The power of protection. So I see the power of sin. I see the power of protection or confession. And now I see the power of protection. Verse 6. For this cause, all right? I want you to take your Bibles because I'm not going to flip back. I want you to take your Bible, look at verse 6, go to previous verse 5. What does verse 5 say? I just talked about it. I acknowledge my sin to you. I have this heaviness. I have this brokenness on me. I have this weight upon me because God is disciplining me because I don't have the right relationship with him. I feel it. I have confessed it to him. And then what happens? There is a forgiveness. There is a weight that is lifted. That burden is taken off. That offense is buried. David says, for this cause, so that you can receive forgiveness Everyone who is godly, so what's that tell us? The ungodly do not pray and ask forgiveness. Why? Because they don't acknowledge there's a God. Well, why? I don't really know. Some of the thoughts are because if you acknowledge there's a God, then there's a standard. And some people do not want to meet that standard. So it says here, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Jeremiah 13, uh, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will find me when you seek me, when you look for me with all of your hearts. When people want to find God, God is not playing hide and seek. He will be found, but you need to find him based upon his standard. You don't come to God and tell God what he's going to do. You come to God saying, God, what can I do because of what you've done for me? See the difference? All right, let's keep going. You may be found, surely in a flood of great waters. Two different ways to look at this. Commentators are split on this. The first one is there's normal trials of life. Sometimes there's just things that happen, the ebbs and flows of life. And sometimes there's trials that we bring upon ourselves 
because of our sinful choices. When I do something to violate, all right, I take my dog out tonight and I walk into someone's house or into someone's yard that says, do not trespass. I have gone and I have violated and now I find myself in a great floodwaters. I have a lot of trouble in my life. That is sometimes because of my choices I have done. Sometimes bad things happen because we live in a fallen world. Two different ways to look at this. Either the great floods because of our choices or the great floods because of the earth that we live in and the sinful nature that we have. They shall not come near him. Interesting, look at this change that happened from verse 5 to verse 6. David is saying, I confess to you, I feel this, this heaviness is on me. The Lord is, is disciplining me. I feel so much weight upon me. He confesses it, and guess what happens? There is that restoration in relationship. So the, the God, God, David, let me try this again. David, who is being chastised by God, is now saying, look at this great relationship I have with God. What made the difference? Verse 5. Verse 5 is all about the confession. That's what makes the relationship work. The willingness to confess, the willingness to forgive. The great floodwaters, they shall not come near me. Now God is not disciplining him. God is now protecting him. God, you are my hiding place. We've all been scared. We have that certain place. Usually kids, they sneak underneath the bed and they hide underneath the bed, but they leave their legs out. I don't know why. It's just how we do it. But when we're scared, we find that safe place. David's saying, God, my safe place is with you. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from the trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Look at what happened in verse 4. The heaviness of God happened. God, your hand is heavy on me. And now he's saying, God, you're my hiding place. You're my shelter. You're my place of trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. What made the change? Verse 5. Verse 5 is the key to this. Verse, verse 5 is the, is the bottom of the valley where you take that turn and come up. It's the peak of the hill that you see the horizon. Verse 5 is the crux of the passage. Let's look at verses 8 through 11. <clears throat> we have the power of sin, the power of confession, the power of protection. Now we have the power of instruction. Remember, this is a psalm of instruction. David wants to teach us something so he, we can learn from his mistake. Let's, let's look at this. David says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Now, my dad has this saying. I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. A dumb man does not learn from his mistakes. A smart man learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from the other person's mistakes. This morning, let's be people that are wise. David is saying, I have felt the hand of the Lord. I have felt the discipline. I have had the broken relationship. Learn from my mistakes. Do not do this. Because if you do, then you're going to have trouble. So he says, I will instruct you. I'm going to teach you in the way you should go. Do not go down that road. That is why it is so important for our older generation to be engaged within this church. Because you have wisdom, you've been down the road. I'm not trying to be funny, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but you have had life experiences and you can see this is the road you're going down, this is the destination you're gonna be at. You do not want to go there. You have that experience because you've lived it. 
David is writing saying, I'm going to teach you. Don't do this. Don't say this. I'm going to teach you the way you should go. And then when he says that, the question is, are you going to listen? I will guide you with my eye. Watch where you're going. Do not be like the horse or the mule. I had to look this up because I didn't really understand what horses and mules had to do with it. But then I remembered because I worked with donkeys one time. Donkeys are stubborn animals. If they do not want to go somewhere, they will put it in four-wheel drive reverse of the opposite direction, and you can pull with all that you have, and you're still not going to budge that animal. <clears throat> the same way with the horse. Horses and mules need to be controlled by humans to be able to do what they are intended to do. That's why you have the bit and you have the bridle. I'm not a horse person, but you have that whip. You, nobody likes to get whipped. Neither does a horse. But you have that there, and you have the bridle to, gear, to guide them where you want them to go. David says, don't be like the horse or the mule. Don't be stubborn. Don't be useless. Make sure you know where you're going. You will not have understanding which must be harnessed and bridled and bit. No one likes to be controlled. Make sure you know where you're going because I'm going to teach you. How do we learn? We learn by listening and reading God's word. There's nothing new under the psalm, under the sun. That's what Ecclesiastes says. But yet, friends, we continue to do the same things that the book tells us not to do, hoping that something different is going to happen. David says, learn, teach, guide, watch, read God's word. All the answers are in here. Some of them are really easy to find. Some of them you have to dig for. He says, <clears throat> or else they will not come near you. So watch the power of instruction. Let's go here. Many sorrows to lead to the wicked. Wicked means evil, those that do not follow God. But he who trusts in the Lord, so those that are going to be righteous, look at the difference. Trust in the Lord, we could say godly versus wicked. All right, what's going to happen to the wicked, those that don't follow God? They're going to have sorrow. You're going to be sorry if you do that. My dad said that to me so many times. You're going to be sorry if you do that. And what do I do? I went and I did it. And guess what happened? I was sorry. I did not listen. So many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Why? Because they're not going to read God's word. But he who trusts in the Lord, those that are godly, mercy shall be surrounding Mercy is unfailing, constant love. We want constant love. We want the right relationship. Look at verse 11. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, you righteous. Look at how he started. He started in sin. He started in the power of sin. He started in the heaviness of sin. And now he ends, <coughs> excuse me, saying, be glad in the Lord. <clears throat> started with a bad and broken relationship with God. Came in and said, be glad in the Lord you who are righteous. Why? Because we keep short accounts with God. Why? Because God is willing to forgive if we confess. God won't forgive unless we confess. That simple is that difficult. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Why are we upright in heart? Because we're righteous. Why are we righteous? Look at the previous verses. Because we have confessed our sin to God. Not generically, but with specificity be specific in your request think about someone that's offended you 
you forgave them. Did you forgive them when they came with the wishy-washy, oh, I kind of sort of made a mistake, sorry. Or did you come and you forgave them and said, when, when I said this, I said this to you, I said it this way, and I said it this way, and I said it this way, I shouldn't have said it, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Absolutely. Why don't we do that with God? Three questions to ask yourself. The first one is, am I feeling the power of sin in my own life? Am I feeling the power of sin in my own life? Are you able to, if you will, commiserate or understand where David is at because you have this weight, this heaviness? The hand of the Lord is heavy on you. Are you feeling the power of sin? Another way I could ask it is, is my relationship with God right? Second one, <clears throat> do I need to experience the power of confession? I love this psalm. Never studied it before. But I love this psalm because it takes me and it puts me in an uncomfortable spot. But you know what the benefits of God's word is? It doesn't leave me where I shouldn't be. It leads me to where I need to go. This is all about verse 5. Verse 5 is so key. We need to have confession with one another. We need to have confession with God. Do I need to experience the power of confession? Two ways to confess. You might not be, you might be here and you might not have that relationship with God. You've never started the relationship. That's one way to experience the power of confession. The other group of people that are here <clears throat> are those that have, but there's a break in a relationship. You have sin that you need to confess. If I've offended you, that doesn't mean we're not friends. It just means the relationship is broken. But if I don't even know your first name, then I'm not a friend with you. You see the difference with that? There's a deep difference here. So the two questions, it's a two-fold question. Have you experienced the power of confession that you have the relationship with God? If you have, are you experiencing the power of confession when you make the relationship right because it's been broken? The third one is, <clears throat> am I living in the joy of my relationship with God? <clears throat> Sometimes what happens, friends, is that we forget that we have the joy of the Lord. And I would submit to you this morning, sometimes we don't have the joy of the Lord because we don't have the right relationship with the Lord, because we're not living in the experience of the power of forgiveness, because we have not confessed the sin that is in our life. And we as Christians, <clears throat> we should be the most joyful people in all the world. Why? Because we have offended a holy God, but we have received forgiveness from that holy God. So why would we not want to be joyful? Let's close in a word of prayer. As we pray, as we close, is there anybody here this morning I can pray for? You know, as your pastor, I love to pray for you, and sometimes the word of God speaks directly to where you are. <clears throat> I'd love to pray for you this morning. Is there anybody here this morning says, would you pray for me? Because right now I'm feeling a lot, I'm feeling a heaviness in my heart. Would you pray for me this morning? I see that hand. One, two, three hands. Thank you. Anybody else? Thanks for being vulnerable. <clears throat> Is there anybody here I could pray for this morning that says, I need to experience the power of confession and forgiveness. Would you pray for me? Because I need to confess some things to God. Would you pray that I can actually do that? Anybody here this morning? I see that. Thank you. One hand. Is there anybody here this morning that says, Tom, would you pray for me? Because I don't really have a lot of joy in my life right now. I, I need to live in the joy of my relationship with God. Would you pray for joy to come to me? I see one hand, two hands, three, four, five. 
fine. Lord, we're thankful for this psalm. It takes us to where we all are. It takes us to our need that we have walked on or over a boundary. We have missed the mark. And we've done that in our own human relationships. And ultimately, God, we have done that in our relationship with you. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you don't leave us where we are, but you usher us to where we need to go. So Lord, I pray for those this morning that says, I feel the hand, the heaviness of God. If you will, the hand of discipline or something is going on. I feel the power of sin in my life. Lord, I pray that they might know the truth of your word. Lord, that if they confess their sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us not to carry around guilt, but help us to carry around forgiveness. Lord, I pray for those that are saying, I need to experience the power of of confession. Lord, that when they confess their sins, they can live in the truth and knowledge and know that you are going to forgive them. Lord, I pray that they might experience that comfort and peace that comes in verse 5 once confession happens. And finally, Lord, we should be the most joyful people on the face of this earth because we know we have crossed the line. We've missed the mark. We've offended a holy God, and yet you have forgiven us through Jesus Christ. Lord, David ends this psalm saying, look at the joy that I have. Oh God, I pray that we might be people that are full of joy because we have the salvation that we have and the right relationship. God, if there's someone here this morning that does not have that relationship with you, may this morning be the morning that they begin that relationship with you. If there's a believer here that has broken fellowship with you, may may this morning be the morning where they have a restored relationship with you, all because of what Jesus has done. We're so thankful for the cross. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We're going to close with a...